Welcome to another edition of The Policy Shop here right before the holidays, where we have a lot going on in state and local policy. Notably, a headline coming from Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who is actually making a positive policy push on his way out the door from office. After years of mostly kicking the can down the road on financial matters, Emanuel is now saying the state should enact serious pension reform. J.B. Pritzker and legislative Democrats don't exactly agree, but with Emanuel's clout and connections, his voice is important. Illinois Policy Director of Budget and Tax Research Adam Schuster explains why and talks through the road ahead to enact serious pension reform, which is imperative for the state. That analysis is right here, and it's coming your way right now. He's coming to the table now when there's no political fallout. Yeah, there's no risk involved. He has a couple months left. Um, why do you think he decided now to come out for pension reform, one, but also two, do you think this is something he thought all along and he's starting to, he knows there's no political risk or is this like a change of heart kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think that this is actually Rom returning to his original beliefs around pensions because pe- people forget this, but Rahm Emanuel ran on pension reform He got pension reform done for the city of Chicago for at least two of the pension funds. He claims that it was a solution that was negotiated with the public sector unions. That's clearly not telling the whole story because uh, some of those unions also sued him over that pension reform, uh, and it was struck down in court. He then sat on his hands for years um, until there was no longer going to be any political fallout. So... I, I am very happy that this happened. Rahm Emanuel is the highest ranking Illinois Democrat to ever endorse pension reform. And even though he's on his way out the door, he still has a lot of connections and relationships in Springfield. And, and him saying this means a lot. But it's also a bit too late. Uh, I would have preferred that he endorsed this in 2015 when the Supreme Court ruling came down that first struck down the state-level pension reform because that decision was the basis for striking down the pension reform that he tried to do uh, as for, for the city of Chicago. Um, the other thing I'll mention is that he has made the problem worse in some ways. People, Our audience should be mostly familiar with the Edgar ramp back in the mid-1990s, Jim Edgar, put in place a payment schedule that basically kicked the can down the road. He called it reform, but all it did is reduce the payments during his term and kick the payments up for his successors. Rom did the exact same thing, but on a little bit of a shorter timeline. So he got a bill passed through the General Assembly that set artificially low contribution rates for four years um, for the Chicago pension funds so that he didn't have to make the full contributions to those pension systems legally. And as a result, over the next five years, pension contributions are set to spike by $1 billion for his successor. The big jumps come in uh, 2020 and 2022, or fiscal year 2021 and fiscal year 2023. Um, they're, you know, the, the two biggest jumps are like $330 million each. And so he's leaving his successor with a, a major problem 
uh, that he has done really nothing to absolve. We, we can see very clearly that despite all the tax hikes and fee hikes that he pushed through, uh, it did nothing to touch the problem. And finally, on his way out the door, he is endorsing a, a responsible solution, a constitutional amendment, and hopefully he gets a successor that picks up on that and makes that the sole focus of his efforts to fix pensions. No more counting games, no more kicking the can down the road, no more tax hikes. Focus on the real reform, focus on the constitutional amendment. Right, yeah, and if he would have done it in 2015, obviously as a sitting mayor with a whole, whole term ahead of him, he could have done a lot more to make it, you know, see it happen. But you mentioned he that he- probably would have found a governor that would have been uh, willing to help him. Absolutely, he would have uh, had I one. Think I think it's certainly possible that Senate President John Cullerton could have been convinced to get on board, too. And that would have really been the sort of uh, triangulation, you know, putting Madigan in a corner with everybody against him that Rauner had hoped for his whole term, but never quite achieved. Yeah. So if anything, the political climate in Springfield is less favorable um, for given that he's coming out for it now. But you mentioned that he has a lot of he's a high ranking Democrat, obviously, he was in the work in the White House, um, has a lot of connections. How important is it still though that he came out for pension reform now it's still it's still incredibly important like you said this is a former congressman this is a former white house chief of staff and while uh, we may not be huge fans of barack obama illinois democrats certainly are um, this is somebody who has many connections uh, in the state house, and those relationships are really key to getting anything passed. So him coming out, even though you know he has less political clout than he did if he was you know going to be serving as mayor for another term, this is still a significant movement. And you see that in the press, the way the press has been talking about this issue has been slowly shifting over time. I'd like to think that our work on pension reform is part of that, but I certainly think you know, getting Rahm Emanuel to talk about this. And his speech was spot on in a lot of ways. He said a lot of good things, in particular, you know, calling the cost of living increases, saying they're not cost of living increases, they're post-retirement raises. That, that's a very important point. And it's good to have a high-ranking Democrat say that so that other Democrats hear it and so that the Chicago media hears it and prints it. Because ultimately, to get a constitutional amendment done, it's going to require a lot of Illinoisans to vote for it on the ballot. And so anything we can do to persuade them that not only is this the right thing to do, but that it's really the only way out, the only responsible way out, that we don't have to go through bankruptcy, um, if we can convince them of that, that's that's a really important yeah. step forward. When he when he mentioned the cost of living increases, I thought he was t like reading notes that you wrote or something. Like, yeah, I've never seen anyone else say that before. Um, so. Yeah, it was amazing. I thought he was just like reading our, our website. Um, do you think, here's the thing, so J.B. Pritzker came out pretty quickly after um, and, and said it's just not politically feasible, and he had some people in the media echoing him um, with that. Do you think, even with Rahm's clout and his connections, what kind of, I mean, what kind of impact is this going to have for Pritzker and the Democrat-controlled General Assembly? So, so it seems like Pritzker's pretty set on his ways on yeah, this. Yeah, when I, when I first saw Pritzker's response, I sent out a tweet, and I'm just going to paraphrase it here. Uh, very sarcastic, you know, true leadership is only taking up a cause <laughs> right. that's already popular and likely to yeah. succeed, right? I mean, his, his, his point about, you know, it being a tough thing to convince a Democratic supermajority to vote for it, or a tough thing to convince a Democratic, you know, a state full of uh, a majority of Democratic voters to vote for it. Yeah, it's hard. 
important things are hard. And that's that's the point of the job. You're right. governor yeah. of the state. You, you, you were elected to be the leader of the state. You're not elected to do the things that are easy and already likely to succeed. Um, so that was that was incredibly disappointing. But I think there's there's two optimistic takes. I always try to be an optimist. I'm a serial optimist. Um, <laughs> well, I, I try to be realistic, but I always try to look on the bright side. So the, the two bright side uh, silver lining um, concepts here. First, he does not have to sign a constitutional amendment. Constitutional amendment does not go to the governor's desk for a signature. It needs to pass with a three-fifths majority in both houses of the Illinois General Assembly, and then it goes directly for voters. We're the ones who sign it, not him. So we can do it without J.B. Pritzker. Um, the other thing is we have to remember he's not in office yet, and he does not, I believe, realize how serious the problem is. And you know we've seen this in the past with with uh, Illinois governor candidates when it's their first time running they make a lot of promises on the campaign trail they think it's very easy you know they're going to come in and, and they're going to wave their their magic wand and they're going to solve all these problems that no one else has been able to solve before without making any hard decisions turns out that's not really how it works when when he gets into office and he has his budget director and he has his budget analysts give him the real numbers and he says guys i want to spend some more money on education guys i want to spend more money on healthcare and they say there's no money jb there's no money jb he's going to say well where's all the money going Pensions. Pensions is the answer. Right. Uh, and so I'm hopeful, even though he's made some some disappointing statements in the media, uh, that when he gets into office and he realizes that it is impossible for him to accomplish all of the promises he's made, all of the spending increases he's promised on things like social services and education, unless he does pension reform. So Best case scenario is J.B. Pritzker encourages the General Assembly to vote for this and gives them political cover with his money. Uh, worst case scenario uh, is he tries to sort of tor torpedo it behind the scenes. But then there's also sort of a middle ground option where he never endorses it. He never does, you know, really lifts a finger to, to help it pass. But he also just sort of sits on his hands and he doesn't stop the people in the General Assembly from doing the work to get it passed. Which would be the politically, I guess, safe option for him or probably the politically safest option. Yeah. Not not the option a leader would take. No. Yeah. Uh, but his comments, obviously, about talking about how it's not politically feasible. I think he needs to understand that now he's the governor and he's one of the leaders of his party. I mean, you can change that, that climate. Um, also, so when you, when you said he might not understand the gravity of the, of the problem, do you think then that's an interesting point? Cause I think when he talks about stuff like, Hey, we're going to raise revenue by legalizing and taxing marijuana or yeah. expanding casinos and gaming. I mean, we know this stuff is just like drop in the bucket and it's not going to affect the real problem. So do you, do you think like, part of that from his perspective of budgeting is just not understanding the problem because i always i also saw it in part as like easy campaign talking points too yeah so i i think um he has propagandists and liars uh on his budget advisory committee and i'm not going to name any names but it's ralph martiri um <laughs> and and uh ralph martiri tells him Guys, this is not a this is not a budget crisis. This is not a pension crisis. You know, we can just do this sort of accounting game thing where we change the ramp and we put some more money in up front, and you know, we reduce the funding target and we just move some numbers around on this balance sheet, and everything's fine. Everything will be fine. Just you know, we we just change the accounting. Um, and when he has people lying to him, um, whether it's for ignorance or malevolence, 
uh, when people are lying to him, who he considers to be a budget and tax expert, uh, I think that is a, a big problem. But Ralph Martiri is a political advocate, um, and the advice he's giving is based on him trying to protect special interest groups that are allied with him and fund him. Um, his budget director will be a government employee who is tasked with using real numbers. And, you know, you get to have your own opinions. You don't get to have your own facts. Ralph Martiri is trying to operate on a different set of facts. Uh, it, if J.B. Pritzker gets a budget director who is not so overtly partisan and not a hack, um, then I'm hopeful he can, uh, you know, convince JB that the problem is as serious as we're saying it is. Well, that's the thing, right? Is a lot of the people or the the majority of those opposed to any kind of serious pension reform have a vested interest in keeping the status quo. So people like Ralph Martiri and and others who are going to try to influence the governor and have influenced the Democratic Party and a lot of Republicans for decades are the ones that are. I mean, those are the people that are going to be trying to push Prisker in the, the other direction that you mentioned or keep him down the middle where he doesn't take That's, a position. But you know what's interesting about that, though? <clears throat> it's really just the public sector union, quote unquote, leaders, right? The, the people who uh, are in charge of their political campaigns and things like that. Because I've had several opportunities to talk to public sector union members one on one. And our solution is so reasonable so balanced, so compassionate, that when you actually explain it to somebody, honestly, uh, it's very hard for them to oppose it. So what I usually say is, okay, are you a worker or a retiree? And um, if, if they're a worker, I say, okay, when you log on to your retirement system's website and it says what your check would be today, that, doesn't get to, that does not go down by a penny. And if they're a retiree, I say whatever you're receiving in the mail by your check or direct deposit or whatever, uh, that does not go down by a penny. And guess what? You still get increases too. Those increases are just going to be a little bit smaller. It's not going to be a guaranteed 3% every year. It's not going to be a guaranteed 3% compounding. It's going to be based on the level of inflation that's in the economy. So as prices go up, your pension will go up to match those. And they say, oh, wow, that's that's pretty reasonable. Like, I'm, you know, right, I'm not going to yeah. lose anything. I'm still going to get increases. I'm still way better off than people in the private sector. And, you know, there's actually people on the right who might say, well, that doesn't go far, far enough. You know, the government workers are still getting uh, a retirement system that's better than mine. That's not fair. And while I understand that, you know, given the political environment we have that, that you talked about, our goal here should be to solve the problem, to eliminate our pension debt, to eliminate the pressures on the budget while doing the least minimal harm so that it's the so that it's actually something that could pass. And also just, you know, from from a compassionate standpoint, if, if you've been working your whole life knowing that you have a 401k, you've been putting money aside in that 401k, and that's your retirement security. If you've been counting on a pension, and we say we're going to go take the whole thing away, that's not fair. I mean, you're leaving that person out to yeah, dry, right? That's they, what they were promised. Yeah, that's not only is what they were promised, but they're, they're you know they're they're relying on it. Right. That, exactly. So you're they don't have 30 years to put money in a 401k and count on investment returns to cover their retirement. So we need to make sure that those people are taken care of, but we also need to make sure that taxpayers are taken care of. So I think our solution is is a balanced solution. And uh, I think if we can get the honest information out there that 
public sector union workers themselves, the average worker, will be supportive. It's just the uh, the people who have a vested interest in political power exactly that are that are trying to stop it. yeah and, that, and that's the thing for for state workers is or any kind of government workers you were told for whatever 30 40 years this is the thing you have to rely on for retirement and that's something they care about obviously so if you tell them too that hey if there's no reform this might not exist it could be a situation where everyone has to take a haircut yeah. they're going to open up and say hey we just need some kind of reform because i could lose my entire pension and Future state workers could lose their entire pensions too. Yeah, and you know we we haven't touched on it yet. And uh, Rahm Emanuel didn't really get specific in his announcement. He said, um, you know, we need to amend the constitution to allow changes like colas. But what we've been advocating for lately is not deleting the pension clause, not just taking it out entirely. We're talking about amending it to recognize a distinction between past benefits or those benefits that have already been earned and future benefits or the rate at which those benefits grow going forward. Uh, this is not a novel concept in other states. Many states uh, already recognize the distinction between past and future benefits. Uh, Utah, Michigan, Louisiana, just, just to name a few, um, all already recognize that there's a difference between the benefits you've already earned and the future growth in those benefits. Our Supreme Court, well, it's a combination of the clause being poorly written and our Supreme Court using the worst interpretation of that clause possible. But they've said, not only is, are the benefits you've earned protected, but the benefit formula, the rate at which your your benefits grow, is guaranteed starting day one when you're hired for life. So if you were hired in 1980, right, and you had a certain benefit. Oh, but benefits can go up, but they can never go down either. So if you were hired right, in 1980, yeah. 1990, they, they increased it to a 3% compounding COLA. Once that promise has been made, it can never be you know changed, um, even for even for future work, work you haven't done yet. And it's, it's just a crazy situation that we would, we would never accept that uh, in any other situation. And what it really is, is it's the past generation, the people who voted for this in 1970, putting handcuffs on the rest of us and they're auctioning off uh, my future, your future, our children's future, our grandchildren's future and it's a generational wealth transfer that's going to leave us worse off than our parents. You know, the, the first gener it could very well be the first generation where we're worse off than our parents. And that's not something that needs to happen. Uh, it's it's being caused by bad public policy. Yeah, it's irresponsible and people I mean, more more taxpayers are, are aware of the problem, like abstractly now. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's interesting when you when you said you've talked to a lot of state workers one on one because getting them on board is what's gonna really could make a difference because it could influence either union leadership or just politicians in general. And I've read a little bit about what happened in Arizona a few years ago when they mm -hmm. reformed their pensions. And a, an important fact about that is a lot of the unions got on board with the reforms. They That's weren't. Right in opposition with the government. They came on board because, from what I understand, they realized that this is something that needed to happen. You d they just couldn't continue going the way things are. Yep. And that's the situation here. It's like, if you care about your retirement, and I know all government workers truly do, something needs to change. You can't just continue the way things are because it's not, this isn't sustainable at all. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned Arizona. Arizona is probably the best example for us to look to um, because they... They have almost 
a virtually identical pension clause, a virtually identical history. After the Great Recession, they tried to reform their pensions just through a simple statutory change, like a non-constitutional change. Um, And their Supreme Court said, no, your pension clause doesn't allow it. And so they said, okay, well, if that's the roadblock, if that's the root cause of the problem, let's not try to go around it or come up with creative accounting games. Let's go after the root cause of the problem. And they went to voters and voters approved two constitutional amendments twice they've done it for different pension systems once in 2016 and and once in 2018 public sector unions were on board with that they were also on board in michigan one of the things that really you know uh cracked me up uh was i was reading an article about the pension reform in michigan and there was a quote from the legislative director from AFSCME. AFSCME is the uh, largest public sector union in Illinois, also in Michigan. They represent most state workers, but also municipal workers, county workers. And the legislative director for AFSCME in Michigan said, we supported this reform because without it, there's a chance that the, I'm paraphrasing, without it, there's a chance that the systems would have gone insolvent and then our people would have gotten nothing that they were promised. And that logic should be so easy to understand. And it's so frustrating that public sector union bosses in Illinois are operating under a different framework. Do you think they understand it and they're just lying about it? Or is there kind of a misconception somewhere? Obviously, you can't get into their heads. Yeah, but. it's 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 hard. I usually I usually try to avoid talking about people's motivations or, or you know guessing about what's going on in their heads. I, I really think it's it's more that there have been decades of very effective propaganda. Um, you know, there's they've sort of been you know we're 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 pushing this really balanced, reasonable pr- approach, like I talked about. But they they've trained uh, their their members to think that pension reform means taking away your entire pension. Uh, it's very dishonest. I don't think anyone has ever proposed that. Um, but it's it's sort of the way they've been trained to think uh, through through very uh, well funded misinformation campaigns, and. You know, I, I I don't know if if they know it deep down or not, or if they're just buying what Ralph Martiri is selling. Um, but <clears throat> reality has a way of uh, of making itself known, yeah. and we're we're very fast approaching the time where they can't ignore it anymore. So how how do we get some of these people on board? Um, mentioning Arizona and Michigan, where the unions came on board, and then here. I think I don't know how surprised you were when the news about Rahm Manuel coming forward on pension reform. Um, but I think a lot of people were some level of surprised um, so or pleasantly I was, surprised. I was actually, um, I we knew there was going to be an announcement. I said it's going to be one of four things, and I w- and one of those four things was that he supports constitutional amendment. I was told, well, just count on that one not happening. And I was like, no, I think there's really a chance that, that he's <laughs> going to do this. <clears throat> and the reason for that was just even though he had, you know, sort of sat on his hands and not talked about it for a few years, um, the fact that when he came into office, he saw the need for change, you know, and I, I think that his silence was, you know, I'm not be too hard on the guy, but it was political cowardice. Yeah. Um, he was he was being silent because he didn't want to anger the public sector unions. Um, he, term, he, he's yeah. absolutely a smart guy. And he yeah. came in as kind of the reformer, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, but he's also super politically calculating. Yes. Yeah. And in terms of uh, how we get them on board, um I think it I think really it, it's going to take in-person persuasion for a lot of these people, um, the, the leadership in particular. But what we need to get through their head 
is this this distinction between past benefits and future benefits because we're, we're advocating this this change to the constitution to create that past future distinction that would leave in place pension protections that are much stronger than other states illinois would still have very strong protections for pension for example uh texas and indiana use what's called a gratuity approach to pensions and that means that your pension is viewed as a bonus and could be taken away in its entirety at any point with virtually no notice so that's not what we're pushing for we're, we're pushing for leaving in place some protections and you know i i, I have a a fundamentally belief in in uh you know the goodness of humanity and and i think that uh, if if they can be made to understand that distinction that that the propaganda they've been sold is not true we're not trying to take away the entire pension i think more people can be persuaded than we expect and that's been my experience so far when i've talked about this publicly so then do you think talking to those people will then in turn reach the general assembly i think so i think it's going to require uh conversations with lawmakers uh, conversations from folks like us with lawmakers, but also conversations from the Lincoln lobby, conversations from you know ordinary taxpayers who are seeing their property taxes go up while their services get cut, them contacting their lawmakers and, and demanding that they support a constitutional amendment. Uh, I think it's got to be bottom up in that sense, but it's also got to be you know reasonable conversations where um, you know where, where, where we explain what we're really trying to do and not not what the propagandists are, are saying we, we're trying to do. Um, and, uh, and I think that if we can convince any of the special interest groups, which that's definitely the harder lift, right. but it, it, if any of them can be convinced to support something like this, if they can be convinced that we're not coming after them and we're not trying to take away everything, um, then they have a lot of influence with lawmakers too, as does you know other high-ranking Democrats like Rahm Emanuel. Um, that, that would be good. Uh, Bill Daly, I saw some reporting. Some of the reporting seemed to suggest that he supported a constitutional amendment. Some of them seemed to suggest that he was uh, at least open to it but wasn't fully on board. So I'm not exactly sure what his position is, but he seems to be the one that uh, is, is maybe most persuadable. I, have, I haven't heard about Paul Vallis. He, he, he's typically a fairly fiscally responsible guy, too. He's against pension obligation bonds, for example. Um, so, you know, if, if the next mayor of Chicago ends up saying the same thing as the current mayor of Chicago, uh, that's going to carry a lot of weight, too. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting uh, between Daily Vales, whoever. I know they're trying to differentiate themselves right now. It's an election season, so kind of take everything with a grain of salt. But if someone wants to come forward and maybe Rom has given them some cover to do so, yeah. um, that'd be very encouraging. <laughs> now, you said you're an eternal optimist. Before we, we wrap up, uh, what is the thing that gives you the most optimism about this moving forward? Uh, probably just a, a belief in the inherent goodness of people, because uh, I think that most of the people who are against this, they're they're on the wrong side of history. Uh, but I think for for a majority of them, it's not uh any ill will or or bad intentions. I think for most of them, it's just a lack of information, and so I'm optimistic that if the information gets out there, that we can persuade them. Like I said before. And the other thing is, is that the alternative is just so bleak that, yeah. <laughs> that I that I really don't want to uh, spend too much time thinking about it. Because if this constitutional amendment doesn't happen, we will see tax increases 
we will see more service cuts. Uh, Illinois residents will be continually asked to pay more. That would that mean income taxes, it'll mean fees, it'll mean property taxes, and they'll be continually given less back from their government. And eventually, if we don't have a constitutional amendment, my opinion, <clears throat> excuse me, is that we're going to find out what state state bankruptcy looks like. Yeah. Uh, and I, do, I don't want that, that, that there's a lot of human harm that comes from that. Uh, but that's, you know, the, the, the numbers aren't going away. The accounting games aren't going to make the numbers go away. And so it's constitutional amendment or bankruptcy, ultimately. It's reaching that point. And yeah. all these, so the Edgar ramp or uh, what Rom did a couple of years ago, I, I'm glad you said that that people aren't malicious or that they're, you know, they're not, they don't have the, it's, it's, it's a lack of understanding the problem because when Jim Edgar passed the Edgar ramp, it's not like he was being malicious. I think the problem at that point wasn't so at where it is now where the politically easy road was the, the path that he was going to take or the, even Brahm a couple of years ago, like the politically easy road is the road that he's going to take. And that's what politicians have done for so long. And now it's at a point where, you know, you can't, you just can't take the easy way out. And I think that's something that J.B. Pritzker and the General Assembly could be persuaded to think. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I also think that as non-elected officials, as concerned citizens and taxpayers, it's on us to not allow them to take an easy yeah, way out, right? Exactly. To hold them accountable if they don't solve the problem. And uh, if if there's no, you know, sneaky political alternative uh, to, to, to get out of it, then uh, the politicians, you know, if the only route is the right route, then they'll take it. Exactly. So, are, are you working on any, anything uh, upcoming on this? Yes, uh, we have a report that's scheduled to release February fifth, uh, which is uh, just it's about three weeks before Governor Pritzker's budget address is scheduled. So, on February fifth, we'll be releasing Budget Solutions twenty twenty. It's a five year plan to save Illinois. It will eliminate our our bill backlog. It will get us on a path towards a fully funded pension system. Uh, it will balance the budget, and in a few years, it can get us to an income tax cut that does not add to the deficit. All right. Let's hope they adopt it. Adam Schuster, Director of Budget and Tax Research. Thanks so much, Thank as you. always. As Adam said, he has more on this topic coming out in February. And of course, we at Illinois Policy will always be fighting for pension reform, given its necessity to turn the state around. Keep visiting our website, illinoispolicy.org, in the next few weeks as we'll have content around the holidays. And you'll hear from us here on this podcast sometime after the new year. Until then, this has been The Policy Shopping.